On this week's Behind the Idea, I speak to longtime Seeking Alpha author and tech investor Akram's Razor about the software as a service sector and his short thesis on pager duty. We start with background on where we are as a sector and why history appears to be rhyming. When you know you look at the at, at people who looked at the 2000 bubble and and the the you know whatever you want to call it uh, 2007 2006 2008 was more financialization but when you start seeing investor behavior kind of mimic that it's always good to look at the history then we look at the tough spot pager duty finds itself in where a bigger company it relies on atlassian may be turning its sights on the company so if you're atlassian and a company like this has as listed you're you're highly incentivized immediately to be very aggressive because you don't want to be the next Skype being, you know, or, or, or AOL instant messenger being relegated by a Zoom, right? Or a Slack. We covered CrowdStrike last week, and while the company seems impressive from many operational perspectives, its upside seems fairly limited when you factor in valuation. We're in a hot IPO period where companies are coming to the market mature and fully priced. What does that mean for investors? We go long on the topic, and we'll have a two-part series with Akram's Razor about the sector, building on his popular Once Upon a Time in Tech article from Seeking Alpha. To get disclosures out of the way, I have no positions in any of the stocks we discuss on these podcasts, while Akram is long CRM and Team, in short PD, pager duty, as well as MDB, which comes up more in part two, which we'll post next week. Have a listen to the first part on this week's Behind the Idea. Welcome to Behind the Idea. I'm Daniel Schwartzman. We're following up on last week's conversation about CrowdStrike. Mike Taylor and I reviewed the high-flying cybersecurity IPO to see if there was anything there, and we came away with mixed thoughts. Shortly before we posted the podcast, longtime Seeking Alpha author Akram's Razor published a fascinating history and assessment of the SAAS space and tech in general, titled Once Upon a Time in Tech. While it didn't mention CrowdStrike specifically, as far as I remember, it gave context for how the software as a service sector has been changing and evolving over the years. It sort of assessed whether we're in a bubble environment now, among other things. Shortly thereafter, he came up with a short idea on another high-flying tech IPO from 2019, PagerDuty, a business that involves pinging operations teams to let them know about events on their tech servers. He said that this marks a period where SAS companies are starting to battle each other directly which means a new chapter in the SAS history. So I'm going to ask him about that, about where we are in tech, about the pager duty idea specifically. Maybe we'll get to CrowdStrike as well a little bit, and we'll discuss what opportunities are out there for nimble investors. Before we begin, Behind the Idea is the podcast that looks at what makes great investment analysis work based on ideas from the Seeking Alpha ecosystem. I don't have any positions in any stocks that I expect us to discuss today, if I end up having a position, I'll disclose at the end of the podcast. I'll also ask Akram to disclose at the end of the podcast based on what we cover. Nothing on this podcast should be taken as investment advice of any sort. Okay, Akram, welcome on Behind the Idea. Thanks, Daniel. How's it going? It's good. It's good to have you on here finally. We, you're one of the first authors that we covered back uh, more than a year ago, so it's fun to have you on the podcast. Um, so... You published Once Upon a Time 
in tech. I want to start there because it, it's really, it's, it's just an, it's an enjoyable and impressive read. It goes back to the sixties, I think is where it stretches to as far as analyzing how different trends, bubbles, ideas kind of pop up in the tech ecosystem and then where, what that means for where we are now. And I don't, it's a long piece. And so I'm not going to ask you to sort of hit everything there, but I'm just curious, how did that, how did that looking backwards help inform you as far as thinking about where we are right now in the, in the tech space and SAS and so forth? Well, I mean, I guess you're looking for, uh, you know, where you are at a cycle. And I think, you know, there's been a tremendous run recently in, in software, obviously, since probably, let's say, uh, mid-2017 through 2000, late 2018. And then we had w- w- the whatever you want to call it, the market crash at the end of last year, and then a really momentum driven surge in a lot of these software names followed by just a wave of IPOs. So, I mean, looking at the history, I mean, I guess the, the origination of the once upon time in tech piece would, would be, uh, there's a book trying the name escapes me right now, but it looks into the history of like, you know, different market cycles it's written by this pen name author uh, under the economist Adam Smith. But, I mean, I'd read this book ages ago. and I mean, it had got into, there's sections of it where it looked into like fracking mania in the 60s. And one of them was also computer leasing, right? And com- like the go-go market, I guess is what, what it was called of uh, the late 60s. Seeing... I'd never really dived deeply into the underlying drivers in that market and going back and taking a closer look at the individual names, the way people were investing, and then just seeing the similarities to today, I think was, uh, was very helpful in the sense that the, this like outsourcing, insourcing virtuous cycle that goes on in all business, uh, which, you know, is what, SaaS is 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 about these days, and I mean, and, and how it's proliferated, and and the likes of AWS, and so on and so forth. So I'd say it was uh, it was an, it was helpful in the sense that you started make, connecting dots. I mean, I don't know how, how thoroughly you went through what I wrote, but to me, a lot of the fascinating stuff was around uh, IBM. You know, IBM as a computing mainframe powerhouse and that not being essentially affordable for everybody else and the computer leasing businesses that were built around it in the late 60s and you know looking at today at at where amazon is where the public clouds are and thinking about their infrastructure really as you know supercomputers in the same way that an ibm uh, mainframe may have been back in you know, the late sixties, I guess, I guess that would be a starting point. As far as the valuations, you know, bubbles are, there's always a psychology element, right? So I, I, I hate looking at, at valuation as, as a pure proxy, even on, on, on stuff recently published, you know, some, some of these investors these days, I mean, I think 
you have a whole new generation trading the market, which probably hasn't gone through even a crash yet, you know, probably since, I mean, what, since the financial crisis, I mean, there's just, there's, there's some people who just don't, <laughs> don't even have that perspective. And it almost makes you feel old when, you know, you look at the, at, at people who looked at the 2000 bubble and, and the, the, you know, whatever you want to call it, uh, 2007, 2006, 2008 was more financialization. But when you start seeing investor behavior kind of mimic that, it's always good to look at the history. So what I want to jump in then, you start the article with this, you know, this price chart or this this performance chart for SAS and how it's outperformed the rest of the market. And then, yeah, and you talk about the computer leasing cycle. You talk about there's a lot of interesting stuff there in terms of, for example, the advantages that Netflix had in its early days or what fueled Amazon, what AWS being such a beneficiary of the financial crisis and so forth. But what I'm curious about for our time frame right now is you know, betting against SAAS, if you don't do it in a smart way, has been a really dangerous thing over the last few years. That chart sort of spells that out pretty immediately. And what you get, we'll get to the specific pager duty thesis in a minute, but what you're getting at is that something is changing now. And I, you know, also in the once upon a time in tech is that there is something different. Yeah. Yeah, I see where you're you're going with that, and 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 that is true. I mean, look, if you if you had invested in if you'd bought a basket of, and I you know a friend of mine, we discussed this you know maybe a month month and a half ago, and if you look back empirically, and you'd bought a basket of you know all the IPOs of the late '90s, right, and you've held them to today, you know, there's there's this perception, I guess, from an investor that you would have done poorly. Because you know you pets.com and you know B2B names and all these companies that disappeared or went to zero and so on and so forth. And the reality isn't the case. You actually would have done amazing because you got a lot of these companies like an Amazon, a Salesforce, a NetSuite, you know, which IPO'd with you know a few million in revenue, right? And they the winners there more than offset the losers, right? So for all the names that went to zero, you know, if you bought an equal weighted basket, the, you know, 300, 400, 500,000 X returns pan out very favorably for you. That's not where we're at today because you now have very mature names, right? So, and the way the private markets function have changed the game in the sense that things go public much more established. So one, I think, key debate point, particularly when you do a short thesis, you'll get people commenting and saying, like, oh, that's good. You know, uh, this, is, this is not that crazy. This is a real business. We're not talking about pets.com comparisons from, from, you know, 1999. And reality is that, well, yeah, your downside may not be zero, but when these businesses go public, like let's say a CrowdStrike at fifteen billion or Pager Duty trading at five billion, the eighty percent downside still turns these companies into multi-billion-dollar successful companies, right? Yeah, yeah, right. It, it's a different. In the past, you have the risk of them being vaporware, or sort of these 
quasi real companies. But in this case, it's not a question of that. It's a question of the fact that a lot of the valuation is already bit or a lot yeah, of the growth grow. is kind of played out. The, the 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 VC ecosystem has gotten to the point where you know it's more than it's more than angel investing and seeding. I mean, you're incubating them at a level that when by the time you bring them to the public markets, look at I mean, just look at the look at the history of, of, of IPOs or you know over the last let's say recent cycle. I mean, there's your occasional really nice success story in, in software and and a, and a Facebook you know which goes public at. A hundred plus billion and it's four 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 hundred billion today, but or five hundred billion or wh- roughly wherever it is trading right now. But you know, Twitter's still trading below where it traded on its first day, right? You've got your Fitbits and your GoPros, and I mean, there was the whole social mania cycle. Like, I mean, I think I remember Renren traded at, at like ten billion dollar valuation on on its first day, and it came out as you know the Facebook of China, and. I mean, those guys are not even doing anything related to that these days. So you can see in terms of what comes public, your upside is more capped than it used to be because they, once they're listed in the public markets, you know, if it's been a good and successful story, you're starting out with like, let's say a Slack, right? What's failure for a Slack at this point? I mean, you know, anything less than turning into a, a 50 to $75 billion company over the next five to 10 years. Right there. And it's, you know, something like Slack is also, they have a lot of mind share already. It's not like they they're going share, to but, you know, there, was, there was instant messenger. There was uh, Microsoft Teams is going to do whatever it's been doing in the space. You know, you've had Gchat. You've had like, you know, there's always, if you talk to the engineers, by the way, you know, I mean, like there, there has been a flavor of element in, in certain tools, right? And it's like, you know, what ends up being sticky? I mean, is Slack going to be the MySpace of its space or is it going to be, you know, your next Facebook as far as, uh, as collaboration. I mean, we, 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 what was it that Microsoft bought? I don't even remember. I think it was Yammer back when, Yammer, uh, yeah, that's when, right. when, so, when, when social was getting big and chat and whatnot, you know, we went through the whole, you know, workspace social type dynamic and a lot of that flamed out and, you know, you've ended up with Slack today. Uh, and I do think a, a lot of it is, is a function of, you know, these on-demand services and, and getting to this point where, you know, let's say we look at streaming and a Netflix and everybody's streaming now, right? When you look at subscription services, everyone's doing subscription services. That was like, I think a key point I focused on in there. You, you've got financial companies like, uh, who was it in there? Who is it? Fidelity or no, Charles Schwab, right? That's where they're right. going through a subscription model. Uh, you, you got Burger King exploring a subscription model. I mean, like, it's, <laughs> it's, it's that convergence. It's not like where, where you're adding a dot-com at the end of your brick-and-mortar business model to just try to get, like, a boost in your valuation. But this, the concept of everything becoming subscription has, has permeated as if there is this superiority to subscription. I mean, we get it in software, right? I mean... It makes sense. You're not releasing Windows 95 and then two years later, another release and then two years later. It's a continuous update cycle. You're maintaining that software. It's all online. It's all on demand. 
but other businesses exploring it, it's, it's, you're not like the differentiation element of what it used to be isn't there. And then you get these companies who are going public and it's like, okay, well, you know, CrowdStrike, for example, it's okay. We're, you know, we're, we're AWS native. Uh, I mean, okay, great. I <laughs> mean, uh, how many other companies right, uh, how, security? How much does that does the cloud element matter here? I mean, I and I'm, I would have to sort of dive back into your the once upon a time in tech to pull it all together again. But the cloud element, the fact that, and I, it makes when we're talking about Slack, for example, which we're used to just working wherever we are, and as we speak, Slack is having a bad day and and it it is irritating when that happens so they're big enough that that matters but when you have sort of that cloud you know because it apply crowdstrike in theory they're special because they are they have that crowdsourced element they're reporting but also the fact that they can it's not you can't firewall like they're not firewalling because you're in the cloud because you're operating with servers around the world so they have like does that is that just a different set of clothes on the same old story or is there anything different about it? And well, I mean, the same, I guess, goes with Peter there that Their approach to, to endpoint uh, because they're in the cloud is going to be more robust, right? If you're, if you are on demand and it's more real time and, and like your history of your access points to, I guess, uh, threats, is a, is a, it's a wider net you're going to be in a better position okay i mean i, I don't necessarily know like I, look i, I say that an, an easier way to do this is to, is to just like rewind go back to fire eye in 2013 2014 right and they wrote on the back of the hype of the sony hack and you know we've got nsa analysts uh, there was there was a company in ad tech rocket fuel where nasa engineers right i I think I pulled one mm-hmm. from, the, from the 1960s where uh, it was like some startup for, uh, it was like a ticket master built by an ex-NASA guy, right? And you look at CrowdStrike, I mean, a, a lot of the people are, are, are coming out of, you know, Symantec and McAfee and, and, and the, the, the standard endpoint place. But at the same time, you get that where ex-Obama administration, FBI, this, this, that. We're actually doing attribution analysis to where the threat came from. And then there's all these debates around it. I don't necessarily know the cl- that the cloud element, I mean, semantic and, and the, let's call them the 1.0 guys, you know, ha- have moved in that direction. This is where you get into this whole, you know, a company that was IPOing, you know, t- 10 years ago in, in, in cloud, its business case would be, we're ripping and replacing a legacy on-premises vendor, right? We're way past that point right. in the cycle in anything where the 1.0s haven't converged and adapted to being 2.0s. I mean, look at some of the most successful companies in cloud are, you know, uh, Adobe, for example, right? Microsoft has done amazing, for example. I, I thought Microsoft right. was, was going to be in such trouble around their dependency on, on, on Windows and the, their pivot to Office right into the cloud just basically made it virtually impossible for anybody to compete and just seamlessly transitioned. And I think they're doing probably better today without question than they were before. 
just because of that transition. So it's, I think companies have evolved on that level. I mean, there are some where they're still embedded and you, and you look at an Oracle and, and, and the skepticism that came out of Ellison early on and now how much they talk about, you know, the, their cloud stack and uh, their cloud, their SaaS based growth and, and so forth. But I mean, going back to your, your, your initial question is like, uh, is the, the differentiation I think has dwindled. That's number one. So you have to be, you have to start looking through and sifting through the hype. And then you do get these dynamics where like a Slack, for example, where, I mean, I think Slack, PagerDuty, Atlassian, et cetera, are all very interesting because they're kind of overlapping in everything that they want to do, right? So it, these guys are almost native competitors against each other. I mean, Atlassian was competing directly against Slack and they chose to exit that market and partner with Slack and strategically invest in them last summer, right? So I think you, you're seeing things where some of these vendors are recognizing things are a little bit too crowded here and here and we need to focus on, you know, our niches. And once you start looking at things in, from that respect, uh, yeah, I, I don't... I think people who criticize software socks and, and focus on the, the lack of earnings are, do miss a little bit of the point in the sense that, okay, the model makes sense from a subscription basis. You're acquiring a customer, like you, you have the cash flows and you can fund the customer acquisition. But when they go from seven to 10 to 20 to 30 to 40 times sales and 50 times sales, right? Then you start looking at them and you say, yeah, okay, but you know, what's your profitability is going to look like if we're going to slice up this pie and the barriers to entry for so many people building software have gotten so low that I can build a nice 30, 40, $50 million business. And I think that's something I touched on the, the founder of, uh, what's his name? Jason Freed Basecamp. You know, he's criticized VCs. There's a hot company right now. I think Business Insider did a piece on them. A couple other people did a piece on them. It's called Notion. I don't know if you've heard of Notion. Notion is new to me. No, Basecamp, we, I, Basecamp I've used a little bit, but Notion is new. Okay. So, so Notion is like, you know, it, it, it's, it's attacking like Evernote, Slack, a bunch of these things all in one, right? So it's a collaboration tool. And the founder does not want to take any VC money. And he's literally, there's, there's been articles written about him lately about, you know, how every single VC is calling and he's, he's rejecting them every single day, right? But then you look at this company, you're like, all right, well, Slack's at 20 billion or 25 billion. You look at what Lassian is doing. If Notion is going to be successful, it's taking out a little bit of, of Lassian's Kanban board with Trello. It's taking a, it's taking about uh, taking out Evernote's little uh, uh, market on the on the on the note size. It's taking out some of, the, of what Slack is doing. So, like, if everyone is in collaboration, when, when you when you when you look at the market where, where Zoom and Slack, for example, trade today, you're like, well, I mean, there's like, how big is the pie to be split with what every single one of you wants to do, and then you know. 50 other startups that are like, oh, okay, you know, I can kind of lump this together. Like, wh why do I need separate standalone applications? That's essentially part of where you get into the, the pager duty thesis, right? You look at a pager duty workflow and you look at this DevOps dynamic, which is a secular theme, right? 
we have all these on-demand services, everybody's got a website, right. everybody's got, it needs 99.9% uptime. It does make sense that, well, okay, on-call is going to be more important. You know, it's no, lo- no longer is it, you know, a doctor and going to the emergency room, everybody running an on-demand, you know, cloud era business is going to have to have some people who are responsible for making sure things are up at all the time. Which, I mean, has always been the case with, with the key infrastructure guys and the public cloud guys. But when you take it to the smallest business or to, you know, what may, maybe many people would view as old economy businesses, yeah, and you're just typical Fortune 500 business, whether it's banking or whether it's media like a Disney or whatnot, you need these DevOps engineers. But when you look at the products that are that that are being used, the tools being used by them, I mean, it's it's a mishmash of of, of several things overlapping. It you know you get, you get these monitoring systems like a New Relic or a Nagios or, or a Splunk. They generate an alert. You know that alert goes to PagerDuty. You know you, you've you've integrated across the monitoring devices and then into the collaboration tools. Because as soon as that alert gets to the engineer, he's hopping on a Slack channel, right? And remember, all these alerts go, can go right into a Slack channel. What you're talking about here is also redundancy. That, that creates some noise, but like, you know, you could just get your alert in your Slack app. And that's when you look at it, you're like, all right, I'm paying $7 a month to have the, the ability to collaborate on Slack and I can put the alert in there. Am, am I going to pay 40 50 $90 a month for you to route that to me and SMS me and, and do my call escalation. So, you know, uh, Daniel gets in an SMS. If Daniel doesn't answer, you know, call Akram, et cetera. And that's when you start looking at it and you're like, okay, I mean, you know, and once the incident occurs, I'm going to be ticketing it with Jira service desk. I'm going to be using Atlassian's status page, you know, to update the customer facing website and whether anything is down and whatnot. And if all these companies are going to grow and they're trading at 20 and 30x sales, they're going to be butting heads, right? Right. Like, where is Slack naturally going to expand if it, if it wants to go in any direction? So to reset on this pager duty thesis, we're talking about a bunch of companies that develop collaboration-oriented tools. Pager duties is specifically focused on warning you if something's wrong. It connects between more of the... The, the new relics, which I understand is more of the server side software and it connects to the actual people who can do stuff about it. And Slack yeah, is. New Relic, Nagios, Splunk, Datadog, right. Dynatrace. There's a ton of stuff on monitoring, right? Once you build your, your, once you're building your infrastructure in, let's say, this Uber distributed, you know, microservices manner, right? You're going to, monitoring is a much bigger deal, right? Right. Because you have so many more, you, you once you've distributed everything, you have so many more points of failure. But yeah, go ahead. So we've sort of already established that it's not enough to now all of a sudden say, oh, now we're in the cloud. Everybody's in the cloud. That sort of advantage has been arbed away. The same you could argue in terms of the model, the subscription model isn't fancy. And so now you're at a point where you you know the arena. The arena is help me do a, a help me run my business. And when you're saying Atlassian, which has Jira, Trello, a bunch of Ops Genie was a big part of your pager duty thesis. And then you have- yeah, which they acquired in September. Right. And you have Slack, which is, you know, at least to me, it seems like a bigger player in the room. I don't actually, I, I don't recall all the revenues in the, but it seems like you're, what you're arguing essentially is that 
you're going to be fighting for a pie. And if, if you had to bet, you're going to go with these Atlassian is already a wider play and slack to some, they're not competing directly, as you said, but they're a wider play. And so something like pager duty, which is more of a specialist, it's, it's going to be harder for them to really defend what they're doing. I mean, is that essentially what you're getting at for the thesis? Well, I mean, if you look at the, if you look at the problem, PagerDuty is addressing, it, it's working in conjunction with these other tools. So as soon as the engineer picks up his phone and clicks on the link to uh, whatever alert, as soon as that alert is clicked on, right, I mean, you're, you're ticketing the incident with Jira Service Desk, you're, you're on Slack collaborating with other engineers, you're updating a status page. Uh, there, these other tools are already being used. Every, every operator has their own dashboards. If you're at one of these big tech companies, you know, if you're thinking like a like a, a Salesforce or or uh, you know an Uber or or whatever, so they have the the core functionality of the page right is working with these other tools, and I mean that's part of what a pager duty anyway needs to do well or anyone who, who enters into that space is, okay, we need to seamlessly integrate with all the monitoring tools. We need to seamlessly integrate with, you know, your collaboration tools. We need to seamlessly integrate with your ITSM like ServiceNow or, you know, uh, the, the your service desks like a Jira and, or, or even just Jira software from a project management standpoint. So what, what got me interested in, in that is, is that when you looked at it and you're just like, you know, wh- this company has to position themselves as a platform once they're a $5 billion company. They don't want to be dubbed a point product company, right? You write a short thesis. If you look at the story, it's a great story. It's a couple of young guys, you know, right out of college. They go work at Amazon on e-commerce. They're on call. You know, they leave Amazon. They're like, what kind of startup would be a good idea? They basically productize the pain point in what they learned at working in Amazon because Amazon got there before everybody else that did this infrastructure. But like, you know, why hasn't Amazon productized this? Well, look at these guys. I mean, it took 11 years and all kinds of pricing changes to the point that their average revenue per user, you know, is north of $30. Slack's probably in, in, the, in the $6 to $9 range, right? Uh, most of all of Atlassian's products are going to be in, in, in that same range. Microsoft Office, which gives you, for God's sakes, you know, PowerPoint, Word, Excel, the the enterprise exchange, uh, the storage, uh, Teams, all that you can get that for twelve dollars a month, right? So it's these guys priced right, they penetrated. And I think one of the one of the things they did really well was you know they go to Y Combinator, they graduate, and you get Anderson Horowitz, you get you know Excel, you get Bessemer, you get these types of you know, big name VCs invest in you. That allows you to get business at Fortune 500 companies. And for those competing against them, like what's the one thing I don't want with a paging system is I I, I need to know that guy's going to be in business, right? I mean, Ops Genie, I think had 200K in the bank until they raised $10 million in 2016. And they were doing very well. It was a very engineering heavy uh, approach. They hadn't invested at all in sales. Like it was a bunch of people in Turkey. He had like one or two guys in the, in the U.S. So you're, you're not going to walk into Disney and do that business, right? They're going to look at a company like PagerDuty and be like, oh, you have $100 million in the bank and you've got Anderson and, and Excel behind you, right? 
And that, w- that was a key part of that sales pitch. But then when Atlassian buys an ops genie, that changes the game, right? Forget what they're now doing with pricing because Atlassian's approach here has to look at a pager duty, which is, a, and Atlassian has done tons of acquisitions in, in, in the DevOps cha- uh, like chain o- over time and collaboration and so on and so forth. And they say, like, this company has to compete with us. They're going to want the minute that page, that alert goes off, like, ultimately, you want to make it so that I don't go into Slack, I don't ticket it outside, I don't do it in these other things. And, and ultimately, IT departments and, and purchasing managers are going are to look into the, where, you know, where are we wasting money, right? How many of these tools can we possibly have? So if you're Atlassian, and a company like this has, has listed, you're, you're highly incentivized immediately to be very aggressive because you don't want to be the next Skype being, you know, or, or, or AOL instant messenger being relegated by a Zoom, right? Or a Slack. You want to make sure you, you protect your position. And if you look at this space, you can conclude a lot of these decisions were made last summer. That's when you get into an IPO, right? I mean, Atlassian didn't buy Ops Genie without obviously looking at PagerDuty. So PagerDuty's expectations without question were probably what Atlassian felt were very unrealistic because they looked at it and said, well, look, once we buy them, we already overlap with all your customer base. So what's our customer acquisition cost? And if we're going to bundle this in, and I, I think, you know, one of Atlassian's co-CEOs at, at, at a speech, even before they did Ops Genie, was was talking about essentially what what will one day become a DevOps 365 bundle. You know, let, let, look at it the same way as Microsoft Office, right? And you're taking Excel and, and PowerPoint and these things and putting them together, and it's a productivity suite. Uh, now, it's a productivity suite for, you know, site reliability engineers, DevOps engineers, and, and whatnot. And that's where things get to the point today where it's like, how big can certain markets be? And, you know, what type of pricing can you realize in those markets? Because that's, that's a very interesting part of SaaS. Pricing strategy now is a really big deal. Because... It, you could you could look at something like a pager duty and be like, well, I mean, is, is Microsoft just shooting themselves in the foot? Like, are they giving away, you know, Office Enterprise Edition? You know, is Slack priced way too low? Like, if 65, 70% of my time is used in Slack, but like the person who's, who, who routed me the page, you know, it, is realizing $5 per month more per user. Uh, sorry, not $5 a month more, per, 5X more per, per month per user right? Those are like, it's not like, hey, you're going to have some pricing pressure. It's degrees of business models that are so different. If you look at what an average revenue per user at $30 is, and you see Atlassian now sticking on, on the optioning page that they'll go down to $4.50 for 10,000 10, users. So it's like, yeah, <laughs> that, that's, that's when you, you look at it and you see strategically and Atlassian is looking at a pager duty and it's like, I want to reduce these guys. These guys have aspirations to be more than, than the, the really good point product they are today. And they, they work in a workflow with all our other tools. And the only way they get there is if they start displacing our other tools. So 
we understand the economics here, you know, the average incident, let's say in an SMS, a call and whatever, you're, you're looking at maybe, you know, less than four cents per incident. You can price, you know, based on, on, on data, both out of Ops Genie and, uh, and, and PagerDuty, you know, you could price as low as two or three dollars if you didn't have significant overhead, right? Well, and that's and, where, just to jump in, that like this is what seems to be the crux of what maybe what's changing too. It seems like is that it's all like you said. There's only so much business that can be had here, and when you're talking about these subscription businesses, you can talk about lowering your cost of acquisition. Or you can talk about increasing your lifetime value, keeping your retention, whatever else. And, you know, some of that's pricing, obviously, on both ends. But it seems like with Atlassian, where they are, they've already kind of had a solid footing as a public company. I don't know whether or not they're profitable on a gap basis or free cash flow basis, but they have, like you said, a wider product suite. So they can afford, they have more market power to go after pager duty and say, all right, we'll price more competitively because it doesn't matter to us. We already have, we're already in so many people's workflow. So it's not gonna be that hard to get them on to this other product. But also then once we get somebody in, we just have more to offer them, which then makes it more interesting to us. And then like you said, though, I think what at least we would use to argue makes software different is that the unit economics are so favorable because like, you, I don't, you know, I'm not going to do all the math, but if you're talking about four cents an incident, it seems like that's not a huge gross cost that you have to pay each time that you're booking a new, you know, sale as it were. Like it it gets really favorable once you lock people in and the way to lock them in and to prevent switching is to be so useful in so many different places so that they stick around whereas Patriot Duty isn't there yet. Is that am I understanding that right? I mean, yeah, that's to a degree. Look, Atlassian was profitable when it listed. Atlassian is the last IPO that I have bought the day it went public, right? And I mean, it's, it's, uh, it, 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 it's one that has, you know, it's been around for a while, obviously with, with, with Jira software and it, it's grown steadily and, and it's, look, it's a great success story, but they've also been very aggressive with acquisitions lately. But I, I, I do think it's, it's not even so much so that like you look at this market and, and you're asked the question of like, can it last in, give it away? in terms of Ops Genie, of course they can. And they do have a free tier, right? I think Atlassian looks at this market and they're like, look, the core paging element is, is, a, is a commodity type of element. This is an orchestration collaboration problem. So what we are bringing to the table is a lot of, like we have four to five pieces of it. There's actually a good interview, uh, maybe it was this year or, or last year with either the Ops Genie CEO or, or Victor Ops. I think it was the Ops Genie CEO. Where he actually says, look, we looked at our, wh- where we were with our product and, and like what we need to do. And we have to start building the stuff that Atlassian already has, right? Uh, like to horizontally expand and Im- improve our functionality. And that's essentially what PagerDuty has started to do. So if you go back to last summer, okay, Atlassian was also competing with Slack. That's why the Slack IPO is also really interesting. And they sold the IP behind HipChat and Stride to Slack, exited that market, invested in them, and just determined, you know what, we're gonna we're not gonna bother wasting the money to chase them here. And then what did they do immediately? They bought Ops Genie, right? In that same window, right? 
PagerDuty changes the pricing structure. If you look at PagerDuty's prospectus, you can see dollar-based retention was going in the wrong direction the, the first six months of 2018. And if you're planning on IPOing, you know, those metrics have to be moving north, right? Right before you list. And September 1, they changed pricing to the point where they removed some functionality. And I mean, this is funny because you can go watch their head of pricing strategy. It's online, give a 60-minute talk where they talk about pricing structure issues. And she literally says that, you know, we want to show our customers that we're more of a platform company, right? And this is obviously coming at the end of the day. Once you have the VCs of the types you have in there, it's like, you don't want to be dubbed a point product, right? So we need to show that we're taking care of more things. We're providing more value to you than routing this page, right? And what they did is they stripped out functionality that was already being provided in their $49 tier and made those a la carte things or they bought and, and, and they moved them over to the higher tier enterprise edition and bundled them in there, right? So in their minds, it's like we're, we were providing too much value to where we have most of our, our customers and not enough value for our highest tier of where we want to extract, you know, uh, a, a, a premium price. And when you see those moves made, right? I mean, that effectively boosts everything as you're going into an IPO. And as they did that, OpsGenie is acquired, Elastian slashes prices by 40%. And then right as these guys list, Elastian starts providing you high transparency and targeted attack on their website on the volume discounts and how low they're willing to go, which is essentially a strategy by them to thwart any potential platform aspirations a PagerDuty has. Then let's say monetizing the the on-call market in of itself. Because where PagerDuty is today at, you know, 117 million trailing revenue with, you know, over a third of the Fortune 500, right? At an ARPU of, you know, let's call it $31. If you change those economics to $10 or $15, like look how small the market is. I mean, there's a reason AWS hasn't gone into this market. I mean, Amazon has Lambda for automation. They've got us for users. They, like, they have all the primitives and they've been doing this themselves to build this product, right? Integrate it with CloudWatch, integrate, like provide it to all AWS customers. And it's a small market if the economics come in at the size of what a physical pager is going to be costing a month, right? But if you're making three to four X what Microsoft is getting for Office 365, oh yeah, it looks amazing. And that's where you get this, this element of that there can be things in SaaS where if they were native and they had no other competitors, right, that priced right initially just seemed to get sticky at those pricing and, and can hold it. But now we're at this point where you have to look at it and say, well, what happens when the other large SaaS companies whose tools are adjacent to you look at your pricing and like this is, and they're just like, yeah, okay, we have to blow this up because these guys, the only place for them to go is into our markets and we're, we're selling tools for a fraction of the price that are being used more in the day-to-day workflow than their tool. That's when you start looking at these things and you say, you know what, this is a completely different business. And people will say, oh, how are you, how, why would you short this? And be like, whatever. Well, I'm like, look, 
if everyone's going to be paying $30 per user, you might as well go get a pager again. <laughs> you know, I mean, at some point that you're going to have to look at the economics and make that decision, but you're not going to get to that point because every single person would be in that market by that point, all the giants would be in it. And that's when you look in an Atlassian and you say, well, they probably approach pager duty, pager duty, you know, being the leader and pager duty asking price was probably one where Atlassian was like, look, once we enter this space, the reliability issue of be, that, you, that you guys have, have written as being, uh, you know, backed with, with 170 million and, and Anderson and so-and-so as your VCs, no one's going to be worrying about us. They're already doing plenty of business with us. And we understand your pricing. We probably have a very good idea of what your largest customers are paying, where you're getting the majority of your seats. And how much you're over-earning on your smaller customers. And all we need to do is put that on our webpage and directly go at our already existing base in that manner. And that's very different from where we were, you know, when we look at software companies that would list even a few years ago, but I mean, definitely five years ago, uh, six, seven, you know, when a workday comes out and it's just like you're, we're going after Oracle and PeopleSoft and so on and so forth and, and legacy on-prem and, 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 and this like, you know, tech 1.0 viewed archaic way of doing things with a, a native cloud model. Now, the, the cloud guys are instantaneously competing against each other. I mean, even, you know, going back to the CrowdStrike, which you, which you discussed, I mean, BlackBerry did a deal. Elastic bought an endpoint company. I mean, there, the, there's another one that just raised money recently. I mean, there's so many of them. And that's when you look at PagerDuty and you're like, all right, well, I mean, Splunk has bought this. Atlassian has, has got Obstgenie. There's open source alternatives and this. And I don't even really view that as the biggest of a threat, to tell you the truth. I just look at it and I say, this is going to be a very simple case of pricing is going to be drastically different than where it's been. And, and it's happening in real time. And I mean, this is the type of thing where once you have a thesis like this, then you just start talking to engineers, you start doing the calls, you start doing the research, and you go out and see whether or not it's vindicated. And, you know, in the process of doing that, for me, it was overwhelming what I found in the space going on now in real time, which is where you get interested in an IPO. Because what can't a company that's gone public recently do, right, is drastically alter their pricing right because you get like the investing community is going to be like well okay well i mean well, what's going on here i don't even think uh, looking at it i don't think people have looked at the fact that they, they they drastically changed the pricing structure in september i mean if you looked at at the report there there was there there's saster which is a blog which i like and, and the guy behind it Lumpkin, is, is is a well-known SaaS person he's been called the godfather of SaaS. he did a pager duty post titled, you know, is about, about pricing and is pager duty expensive and whatnot. And like, he opens it with the question. He's like, did these guys, you know, you know, double their pricing like Dropbox? Or did they effectively increase it by changing their tiers? Uh, he asked three or four questions, right? And he immediately concluded pager duty had done none of those. And they just kind of figured out pricing from day one in, in a very lazy fashion, to, to, to be honest, because if you go look at it empirically, it's changed drastically multiple times, right? And even just now recently, and you've got their head of pricing giving a 55-minute talk, talking about pricing structure issues, 
And you're like, how can this happen? And that's when you get to this, you know, euphoria element in the market, right? Because that guy of all people should know better. He can look closely. He has the access, obviously, in the venture capital community. But people want, like, when, when, there's, when these stories have been working, there is a confirmation bias, right? It's like, look at all these successes in software. And you, you, you look at something on the surface that seems so obvious. And it's like, look, not only have they done, you know, what Dropbox did and what this guy, they're guilty of every one of them. They've changed the tiers. They've stripped things out. They've actually significantly increased pricing over time. Every single little thing here that you should, that you, that you were, you were looking at and saying, you know, which is a common theme around PagerDuty. I mean, if you do talk to people who use the product, they're happy with the product, right? If you talk to the people on the pricing side, they're like, it's really ridiculously expensive. I mean, I, I've talked to some people who've switched to Ops Genie and, and, and even Victor Ops, and, and they're just like, you know, we, we were a little bit worried initially, and then after two weeks, nobody noticed the difference, right? And then if you look at some of the biggest tech companies where I think PagerDuty has built good brand equity, and it, it, particularly in that Silicon Valley, uh, Silicon Valley community, they're not using any of these add-on features, right? It's core reliable paging, which actually is not the worst thing for them because it's like, why switch, right? If you're doing that one thing really well, and for the biggest customers, obviously that they're giving them huge volume discounts. All, all I got to do is continue doing that well. And uh, I'm fine. I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to be in a good position with my customer base. The problem is, well, you know, your competitors sold for, you know, 100 and 200 million and you're trading at 5 billion. And they're now both owned by 20 billion plus software companies. And these guys are looking at that market and saying, well, okay, you, you're going to have ambitions because like Atlassian's management has executed and, and, and grown, you know, adjacently over time. They know that if you have a nice market cap and the market starts to overvalue you and you can sell that story, then maybe you can do a deal here, you can do a deal there, and, and you can turn into something bigger. Thanks for listening to Behind the Idea. We're going to wrap there and pick up next week with part two of our conversation with Akram's Razor about SAAS and tech in general. If you have any feedback or questions, let us know at btipod at seekingalpha.com. Stay tuned for the second half of this conversation next week on the same podcast channels. If you have a chance to leave us a review on any of those channels, please do. This has been a Seeking Alpha production. Thank you for listening. See you next week on Behind the Idea.